We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com to start winning. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about another Nets win, 120-112. Not the prettiest game, but we'll take it. How are we doing, Jack? Yeah, Nick, it reminds you of the episode of Squ- uh, Itchy and Scratchy Land of the Simpsons, where Marge is talking to Lisa, and Lisa's like, but mom, this is like everything you ever wanted. We got to spend some great time outdoors with the family. What more could you want it? And Marge's response is, yes, I guess it was everything I wanted. Now let's never speak of it again. That's literally how I feel about this game because we got a, a James Harden masterclass, Kevin Durant doing Kevin Durant things, Joey Buckets hitting absolute flamethrowers, and we got the win. Let's just move on from it. But, you know, we'll spend probably about 40, 50 minutes discussing it before that. Yeah, I mean, I told you before we hopped on, I thought this is probably the most annoying win of the season just for so many different reasons. And like you said, we'll jump to that in plenty more. But you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start? Let's start with the Smoothie King himself, James Harden, Nick, because he was outstanding. Probably his best game. Maybe easily his best game of the season. 39 points, 11-18 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3, 11-15 from the free throw line, had 12 assists as well as 5 boards, had a steal, had a block, 6 turnovers, plus 17, led the team in that regard alongside Kevin Durant. Nick, what did you think of James Harden's performance? Was it the best of the year for him? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, competition was not great. The Pelicans aren't a very good team, but it's a building block for Harden. And I think this is the game where he looked to the closest version of himself. I tweeted out something along the lines of like he was casually scoring. And James last year, there was games where he'd have 30 and you're like, oh, he casually got to 30. Tonight, it was pretty easy for him. It's not like he had to put in a ton of work. He was breaking guys down, hitting his step back threes, hitting an array of catch and shoot threes, too, which I think is something pretty big and just overall looked really comfortable and I think that's just important he didn't look comfortable in the first couple games of the season he didn't look confident he looked confident comfortable and aggressive tonight and obviously that's a game-changing you know mentality for a player like James Harden 
Yeah, it's weird that James Harden's three ball has almost gone to another level, you yeah. know, to sort of compensate for some of his struggles, quote unquote. You know, he's been shooting the ball before tonight where he went six of 10, 39.3%, you know, and his career average is 36.4. So it's only going to go up and it's probably yep. going to be around the 40% range after taking, hitting six, uh, after hitting 60% of them uh, again tonight. And I, I thought we saw all levels of scoring from James Harden. The one that excited me the most, Nick, was the, I love the, the James Harden really quick, subtle floater. I saw a couple, I might have only been one, but I saw that, I'm just like, okay, he's comfortable at every facet of the floor now. Um, he looked really confident. The dribble looked really slick. He looked a bit quicker in his movements and his decision-making. Like you mentioned, the catch-and-shoot three-ball is looking great because, you know, KD's getting double and probably one of the biggest shots of the night. Kicks out to James Harden's like, you know what? I'm a catch and shoot. I'm Joe Harris now. I'm going to take this one and you know extend the lead to seven and sort of put the uh, put put everything to rest, put the nail in the coffin for the Brooklyn Nets. So he was marvelous tonight, and, and a big reason why Joe Harris was good. Continued to remain aggressive as he spoke about in, in the yes post game, and you know I think we expected probably a big game from uh, from James Harden, first thirty point game performance of the year, and of course, like I mentioned, happened happened up the Smoothie King Center. He's the Smoothie King himself. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think I know what you're talking about, Jack. That floater down the lane right at Jonas Valanciunas, like that's the one that he hasn't really been taking. And just to see it, not that Valanciunas is some elite shot blocker, but he's still a big body in the paint. So that was just a good thing to see. He also has like this little in-between where he's going to like throw a bump and then put a shot. I wouldn't call it mid-range. It's kind of more of that like close-range area. I think that's something new that he's using a little bit more, more of that kind of bully ball. And I thought tonight he did a great job of getting to the free throw line without looking for free throws like it was more so like let me play basketball i'm going to attack if i get bumped i'm still going to try to make the shot and that's why it gets more likely to hit and ones too instead of just trying to like you know wrap guys or whatever just hook guys especially when you're not getting that call play aggressive put your head down get to the rim and you'll get to the line and that's what happened tonight yeah because he he maintained that aggression and engagement early nick it allowed the Pelicans to be over exuberant in yep. their defense. And, you know, he got a couple of three point shooting fouls and they were there. It wasn't yep. him kicking his legs out or any of that sort of thing. It was almost like, my guy, you got to let him land. It was like some Zaza shit. I think it might have been Herb. And that's Jones the power shoot. of the step back. Like the step yeah. back is people, it's, it's bait. And if you take the bait and try to contest that, you're probably going to foul him unless you're Kevin Durant or Giannis or somebody who has, a, you know, a crazy wingspan that can put your hand out there. Your feet are likely to get tangled and when he's not looking for the call like you, we were just talking about jack like he's just so much more likely to get those three free throws and that's just a it's really makes him that much harder to defend and that's what you saw really peak levels in houston the step back was so good guys were kind of crowding him at the three-point line and allowed him to kind of get in the paint with ease yeah i think his step back's been on point all year and a lot of good rhythm He's had a great rhythm with it. It's been splashing in. It's been absolutely gorgeous. And he's been showcasing it to a high extent, even during, you know, some of the games where he has struggled. So uh, he has, he's revolutionized the game in a lot of ways with that move. And yep. he has patented it. You know, the only thing more unstoppable than that in, is basically any Kevin Durant shot, you know, whether it's a post move or whatever. And we'll get to him in a little bit. But this is encouraging for... Uh, for for James and hopefully he continues to take it going forward against OKC and in a more tough and in a much tougher matchup against the Golden State Warriors in a couple of days time too. But you know building building blocks going forward, uh, incredibly incredibly solid and encouraging performance from the beard and keep drinking those smoothies, my guy. 
Yeah, I'll say one negative thing. Just defensively, like when they're not switching, James Harden gets lost on screens, and that leads to just some really open shots because then the opposing team gets into a three-and-two advantage where it's like one guy's coming downhill, the guy's rolling to the rim, and then there's probably someone in the corner or making a cut, and that's just like there's not much you can do. He kind of gets lost out of the play, and we were talking to the DMs a little bit. That's when you'd like to see the Nets maybe switch just sometimes, especially against certain teams. Like You want to have multiple facets of defense you can play. You don't want to be stuck in just this one. One thing obviously they played switching the entire season last year but this is a new group of guys and I think you want to get a little bit of um experience running it together you know what I mean especially I think when you play Golden State I would switch everything yeah the only thing is you can switch with James Harden but switching with Blake Griffin is is another yeah, thing because that's why we want to see Millsap that's why we want to see Millsap. That's why we, you know, Lamarcus Aldridge is a better switch player than Blake Griffin in my eyes. I just think he, oh, I can't remember who it was that said it, whether it was you, whether it was Lucas, whether it was someone on their Twitter. He just has this way of angling his body and sort of like forcing the defender into a tougher make. You know, he might still make the basket, but he's sort of, he's not the quickest uh, of lateral mover. And Clax hopefully will be back soon. We, we saw a little bit of news relating to him, which is hopefully positive. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's some weaknesses in the Nets defense in a lot of in a lot of ways. Look, Blake's taken nine charges, I think it is this year. But uh, well, I don't want to get to Blake Griffin, Nick. I want to stay on the positives. I want to stay with Kevin freaking Durant. This is a low key twenty eight performance, twenty eight point performance from Kevin Durant, especially when he came off a ninety three percent game uh, the other night. He hit all of his threes, eight assists, seven boards. Some of his passing was really, really nice tonight. It was just sort of like, okay, well, I'm going to get all this attention. James is cooking. Joe's cooking from the perimeter. You know, I, I, we had a couple of shots here and there from Javon Carter and LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Bruce every now and then. Uh, I just thought that this was a, a low-key awesome maybe awesome is a bit grand of a statement but I think it was a really an good... awesome game I think we just have a really high standard for Kevin Durant if this was a you know an all-star level player not the best player in the world we're probably just like ecstatic about this performance but it's almost like we're used to it like it's ridiculous he shot 64 percent from the field he shot 11 of 17 with almost all contested shots like I don't remember him shooting an open shot in this game and three of three from three and those were contested threes like it's insane I mean the only thing you ask don't miss the free throw but that's obviously Obviously, you know, you can't really control everything like that. He did have two turnovers, and I thought the one turnover wasn't even his fault. It was like, I think James Harden threw him the ball in the post, and then everybody evacuated, and then it was a double team, and there was no outlets for the ball. That wasn't on KD. That's on his teammates, and I think it's just like, it's ridiculous at the level in which he's playing right now. It's just hard not to take it for granted because it's so consistent, but it's like, you really need to appreciate this stretch of basketball because as a Nets fan, this is the best I've ever seen a player in a Nets uniform play. Yeah, to quote Kanye West, I am a god. He is <laughs> literally, you know, he's playing. There has to be something greater than gods, Nick. You know, we'll probably dive into some pop culture comparisons at some point, but he's playing on a level that's greater than a deity. Um, and even his, you know, solid good performances are just like, you know, tw efficiency levels that anyone would dream of. And I remember that play as well. You know, he hit some really crucial buckets when the Nets needed them. You know, that's the really ATO play. Great. Yeah, big time. The the three was big. The the ACO, I think it was about 107, 104, where Katie got a, a nice deep post position uh, in the paint and just hit the fadeaway over Garrett Temple. Garrett Temple defended him okay, 
but you know, Gary Temple's probably got like five inches less on on height than Kevin Durant. So that was a nice little play. The way that the they were able to evacuate and get in that isolation because, as I mentioned in, in previous iterations of the pod, I think he's like 1.2, 1.3 points per possession uh, when he gets an ISO. That number might be even higher at this point in time. But yeah, KD was great. Yeah, I thought there was some really nice passing from him. You know, he got some nice looks for Blake Griffin, made him look, yeah. made his game look better than it was tonight if it weren't for some of the passes that KD got from him. You know, he was attacking off closeouts, you know, getting easy buckets for himself. He's playing complete basketball, and you know the we're getting the greatest versions of like Steph and KD. It's pretty incredible to say both of these guys in their mid thirties now, thirty three years old. Kevin Durant, I think Steph's at that age, if not maybe a year or two younger. Um, it's 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 wild to watch and wild to see, and uh, it's a goddamn treat to watch. And you know, I've sort of said you know that I just I'm not taking it for granted. I did a bit of a podcast with a, a Kiwi bloke, a guy from New Zealand called uh, Stevie Cohen's. I uh, checked that out uh, on his timeline. Uh, and he was just like, you know, you just got to appreciate it, my guy. And yep. I'm like, man, I do. I really, really do. I'm never going to stop appreciating it. Give the guy their flowers. Um, he deserves all the flowers, all the roses, all the daffodils, all those pretty smelling things in the world because him and it was awesome to see that him and Harden were both on tonight and and both locked in. Yeah, it was against the Pelicans team, and and but ultimately you'd rather get an ugly win than a pretty loss. Yeah, and I think also the two man game between Harden and KD is improving. You know, you're seeing more pick and pop, you're seeing pick and roll, you're just seeing you know give and go, whatever it is, just some simple basketball plays, but kind of utilizing each other. And I think that's important, especially with some of the weaker offensive lineups the Nets are throwing out there. And also another note on KD, I think like there's also just impact defensive plays you see from him. You know what I mean? Obviously, occasionally he'll you know forget his guy in the corner and he might give up an open three, but he's very locked in and making plays in that end of the floor, and that's important too when you have guys who aren't necessarily the best defenders out there sometimes. Yeah, he's at a point where sort of LeBron James has been in his peak where it's just like the stature of the player is intimidating. And it's just by Kevin Durant being there. And James Harden's starting to get to that point again with with some of his offensive exploits and a few performances on this road trip as well. So I think that just that in general, you you see Kevin Durant, he's getting more calls and such. And I'm not seeing him complain as much. In fact, the only time that I think I really saw him complain was probably at the early point in the game where I think it might have been even his first or second shot at Garrett Temple and Garrett Temple clearly got him on the arm. And I think the rest need to watch for that a little bit more this year because he should be getting maybe one or two of those a night, especially when he's got a guy that's probably a bit smaller, like a Marcus Smart, a Garrett Temple, these sort of dudes, because they just can't guard that shot because he's got six or seven inches on them. He's 6'10", 6'11". He's our tallest player in our starting lineup. So uh, absolutely marvelous display, marvelous basketball. I'm going to have to consult the dictionary and thesaurus, Nick, because I'm running out of words for Kevin Durant. Yeah, and I, like you said, Jack, on those foul calls, it's not like anything to do with the new rules either. Like, there's no rule that says, like, if you get smacked in the arm or the wrist when you're shooting, you should get extra free throws. That's just how it works. That's just a normal thing. And I feel like if it was almost any other player, just because KD's, like, release point is so high sometimes, I feel like they almost ignore it. Where it's like, if it was, like, Joe Harris and you saw that contact, it'd kind of be easy. Yeah, I don't know whether, like, these refs are just too short. They can't, like, <laughs> avert their <laughs> gaze. Like, like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, somewhat to the sky. It's just like, okay, guys, you can look up. Yes, he's tall, and yes, he has one of the highest release points of any shooter in NBA history. But, man, like, he's oh, he's incredible, KD. And 
He's playing, and you can tell that he's in the zone where he's just feeling it. James Harden start to slowly get into that zone as well. And if they're both in the danger zone, then boy, watch out, Top Gun style. Yeah, they could make a lot of mediocre to average players just look good offensively too. Jack, any concern with KD's shoulder slash arm? We saw him kind of take some hard contact to that, and he was banged up a little bit in the last game, kind of grabbing at it. Any concern, or do you think it's just maybe like a stinger or a bruise? Yeah, look, I think that a lot of those guys, a lot of guys will probably have some of those injuries throughout the year. I'm hoping there'll be, there'll come a point in time where just Katie gets a little bit of rest, but I think that he's got a pretty high pain tolerance yeah. know, throughout his career, having a lot of injuries behind him. So there might be a little bit of a worry, but to me, Nick, I didn't really notice it a heap until it was pointed out to me by you and, and some others on the timeline. So I'm just like, uh, I think that's a credit to him to be able to just play through it and go, yeah, it's a, it's a little it bit It was sore. like in the last, 30 seconds 30 to 40 seconds and then when he was shooting the like final two free throws he missed the first one and it looked like his shot was a little off because of the injury like it wasn't his natural motion then he walked off the free throw line they gave the nets a delay of game and then he shot the next free throw and it looked normal so it could have easily been just kind of like oh shit i got hit really hard in the arm yeah it was the bulls game where he sort of got, got a little bit of a stinger as well i think yeah you can correct me if i'm wrong and, and listeners can as well but Look, I, I think that the net staff will, uh, the way that they've always handled the, their players is to be overly cautious. So I can't see them. You know, we saw that last year where I'm sure Kevin Rant wanted to play some back-to-backs here and there. And hopefully, you know, once we get back home from this long road trip, it's been a really successful one, um, that, which has been really, really positive too. Get a bit of time in between the games. Don't let him, doesn't have to practice too much. KD, you know, we're talking about practice. He doesn't need to practice. He can, he can, hit, he, he can hit hoops in his sleep, but... They're going to get to Joey Buckets because one, one more question, Jack. Just while we're on the James Harden, Kevin Durant topic, do you think Steve Nash needs to start to stagger these two a little bit more? We talked about like the two man action improving, which is great, and obviously you have two elite players on the floor. Your offense is going to be good, but do you think that he needs to stagger these two because at what we saw at the end of the third and early fourth was there wasn't one of these guys on the floor, and that kind of allowed the Pelicans to get even further back in the game and kind of build momentum. So we get into the Steve Nash talk earlier in the pod, Nick. Okay. Strap yourself here. <laughs> put your seatbelts on, ladies and gentlemen. Strap yourselves in, whatever you got to do. Because when Steve Nash is, to put it blatantly, pissing me off, I'm going to start calling him Steven because he's he doesn't deserve to be called the Canadian sensation and wonder kid that he is. Because he just doesn't do anything. When the game is out of their reach and the, the, the momentum changes... What coaches can do, they can change lineups, they can call timeouts. What does Steve Nash do, Nick? Tell me. Does he do either of those things? No, he doesn't. He doesn't need it. He made a couple (laughs) subs, but all the subs didn't really help the issue that was there. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like the subs at the end were just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bring Bruce Brown in right now. Like, what's Bruce Brown doing for the offense, especially with him dealing with some offensive woes, which we'll talk about later? It, It boggles the mind, Nick. It really, really does. And... You know, I, it's weird because we spoke about earlier in the season the, the fact that he's experimenting too much. It's just like going overboard. And now it's just like, okay, let's just stick with the, the five-man bench lineup with occasionally Joe Harris and occasionally James Hunt, occasionally KD, and just stick with it to a point where the Nets give up a 21-freaking-point lead. Yeah. And it's just like, you can stop this. Like, it's it's down to, to 12. Okay, now might be the time, Stephen. Oh, it's down to nine. Now might be the time, Stephen. And it's just like, Willie Green will probably call the freaking timeout for him, it seems. It is, uh, it, 
we were on a high, Nick. You, you had to bring me back down. Yeah. We can keep you balanced. <laughs> you gotta, yeah, you got to keep me balanced. You're making me bipolar, my dude, bringing up this topic. I wanted to talk about Joe Harris, and you're bringing up Stephen freaking Nash. Look, my guy is a, a wonderful TikTok dancer. Well, I'll, I'll put it that way. He's He's been dancing like like no other for the past couple of years with his, his children and his family on there. He needs to realize that there are things that he can do to impact this team rather than just relying on the brilliance of Kevin Durant and James Harden to bail him out. Because ultimately, that's just what's happening. <laughs> that's what happened again tonight. You know, yeah, he might call some nice ATO plays for KD every now and then. You know, he's got a good history with him. He understands it. He makes all coaches can do that. You know, even the worst coaches, Jason Kidd could call a good ATO. It's one of the easiest things you can do. One, the thing that good coaches do is read the game and make adjustments. Be proactive rather than reactive. Popovich, Steve Kerr, Greg Spolstra, those guys impact the game with their mouse and expertise. Steve Nash doesn't. Steve Nash is, is a I don't want to say he doesn't in general. He just didn't do it tonight because I think he has not. coached good games. Like I, I don't want it to be like Steve Nash is a terrible coach. Like I still think Steve Nash is a good coach. He just has flaws in his coaching. Like he's done things that is, have worked and done well, but there's other times where it's just like the opposite end of the spectrum. That's what I think is so frustrating is because there's games where he's fine, and then there's other games where it's like, man, this doesn't even make sense to me. And obviously I'm not an NBA head coach. You're not an NBA head coach, but we could kind of – think at least that we could solve this problem a little easier well we could at least try to solve the yeah. problem now. Yeah. not even trying like the the if you try and fail cool like at least you're trying to do some shit early on in the season he was trying to do too much shit and now he's not trying to do any shit and it's just like it's shit <laughs> like <laughs> being so blatant and explicit but I, I can't think of a better way to describe it because poor Millsap six minutes look Blake Griffin Griffin got, like, a block and got some buckets because Kevin Durant was awesome, like I mentioned. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, 
and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, JJ breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. But, man, this was... I'll put it out there and say that this was maybe Blake Griffith's worst game of the year. Like, at least and bottom two or bottom three. And the fact that we're discussing that is incredibly frustrating. And the fact that Paul Millsap's getting six minutes off, like, what is he doing wrong to, like, play him as... If you're playing Blake and LA as a solo big, at least try with Paul Millsap. You've experimented with every other thing in the freaking book by not playing Bruce Brown. And look, suddenly the Nets start start to play him and they're seven and two since he started. My guy, you've got all these things here. Like, it, there's a lot of things you're experimenting with, and you're not experimenting with the things. It's just like you've got at least some form of a solution there. Like, you've got the, the ingredients, the chemistry, and it's just like, you know what? I'll stick with this one. It looks shit, and I'm just going to keep going with it until Javon Carter hits a pull-up three. And look, Javon Carter wasn't awful tonight, and I'm glad to see that he's starting to hit some of those three balls, but it's just not the answer, Nick. And it feels like there are some... We might not have all the answers here at the buzz. Our listeners are probably much smarter and more rational than what I'm thinking right now. But dear Lord, Stephen, to quote, he's he's like Stephen Strange, but without the intelligence and magic wizardry. He's just being Stephen, comma, strange. Yeah, it was definitely interesting that he didn't adapt to this. And I think, like, he's tried to survive with this second unit lineup, the one that everyone knows by now, Javon Carter, Patty Mills, Bembray, Millsap, and LaMarcus Aldridge. We saw Joe Harris swapped in for Millsap today. And still, it's just not enough offense for the team to be successful, especially when they're making defensive mistakes. Like, if that unit's going to be out there, they have to lock down. And I don't think they're really doing that tonight as well. And it's just like Paul Millsap, I think, could provide in that lineup too, especially when you're lacking playmaking and lacking scoring. Not to say that he's some elite scorer or playmaker, but he's better than some of the guys out there. Like he looks more comfortable creating or having the ball in his hands than a Bembre or Javon Carter. And like, you know, just a simple dribble handoff for Joe Harris or Patty Mills to kind of get some momentum. I think also Steve Nash needs to read the situation. Patty Mills is not playing his best offensive basketball right now. You can't necessarily depend on him to provide you that offensive pop. So that's why you probably need to stagger a little bit more with James Harden and Kevin Durant. And those guys are playing at such a high level, like we talked about before. They're making, you know, maybe lesser players or they're getting the best out of guys and making them even better. And that's something that happens when you play with superstars. And I think Steve Nash has maybe too much trust with the second unit. And it would look a lot different, obviously, if Kyrie was out there. And I think it also would look a lot different even if like Cam Thomas was more developed. Maybe that's something we'll see further down the line. But they're desperately lacking just that scoring pop. There's just not anything very intimidating when you put that line about there. As good as LaMarcus Aldridge has been, a lot of his shots have come off creation from others and just hitting wide-open mid-range jumpers. Uh, you know me, Nick. I love the the old lineup combinations and the lineup data. 22 minutes for that all-bench lineup that you mentioned, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, Paddy Mills, DeAndre Bembry, Javon Carter, fourth most played lineup. Do you want to guess what the offensive rating is? Just, 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 just have a guess, mate. Just have a guess. 
99. No, it's 86. An 86 <laughs> offensive rating. And you want to guess what the defensive the defensive rating is very good, 93.2, so minus 7.2 net rating. An 86 offensive rating, you give me the ball and try and create offense and I'd get an offensive rating of 86. You know, I'm back at hoops now. I'm feeling myself a little bit. But in all honesty, Nick, I, I think that whether it's continuing to do utilize Joe Harris a little bit more, lessening the minutes, going a bit of Millsap solo time, a bit of Lamarcus Aldridge. Like you, you have three bigs now. You don't have the, you don't have Clax waiting in the wings. So you have to give him those minutes. Try and, and give some different solo minutes here and there. And, and or I even think it's, Blake going to the bench. I think not to say that Blake's really good, but I think he looked better last year at different points because he was going against second units. Look, Blake hasn't been good at all in in a lot of respects this season. He's had good quarters and good moments. The and, Pistons game was good, I would say. But other than that, yeah. Yeah, he was four or five from three, I think, in that game. And, and every other, like, where I think it was in the final quarter where James Harden broke down the defense, kicks it out to the corner to Blake, and I... That, some of that helped. is on James Harden, though, too, because I remember this play vividly because I was annoyed about it. KD was trying to run a pick-and-pop with James Harden or run some type of two-man action, and James is like, nah, let me ISO, let me ISO. He ISOs, breaks down his guy, and then it ends up being a Blake Griffin three in the corner. Like, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm feeling pretty damn good about that possession. Do you think Blake Griffin's the worst three-point shooter on the team right now, Nick? You know, and obviously, maybe this is me getting caught up in the source of you know DeAndre Bembry hitting his three balls and Bruce hitting one at a pretty pretty crucial time to tie it back. I think it was at 104 apiece yeah. that he hit that three. I mean, those are probably the three guys and, and, and all of those threes on the floor. When you have some version of them on the floor, they are going to clog it up a little bit, but... Is Blake now you know, at the bottom of the list there, or am I being a, a bit too irrational? I mean, this so far, he's been shooting the worst. I mean, based off of career, I don't think he's the worst, but just based off of this sample size that we have this season, he's just off, and I think that he's, you know, pressing a little bit on the shot. You know, sometimes you try to almost aim the shot when you, like, are missing so much, and I feel like that's what's happening. And also, his shot's just not that great. Like, it's not a just a, a very good fundamentally sound jumper. It's a line drive that sometimes comes out going down. And it's like the, the, the room for error on a shot like that is very little. Like when you're shooting with an arc, you might get the bounce. You might be able to hit the, you know, the inside of the rim, but like on Blake shot, if it's not pretty much like a swoosh, it's probably not going in. And it, that just makes it even harder if you're not a great shooter. It, it does. So, Look, hopefully Blake gets back to a semblance of offensive impact because right now he's just not. And look, he got Do you think a few it's time for him to go to the bench and put somebody else in the starting lineup? I, I think I, I want Clax to get back and, and get that spot, but I don't think his conditioning is going to be there. We all want Millsap. You know, you've spoken about Lamarcus Aldridge and his impact off the bench. I, I think he should start because I, I think his chemistry with Kevin Durant is continuing to grow. James Harden starting to understand him. And you have four out, when legitimately four out when you have LaMarcus Aldridge out there because, you know, he's a, a much, much better shooter than basically probably the best big shooter that we have on the roster right now, at least given recent Yeah, I mean, results. he might be one of the top five shooters on this roster if you really think about it. You got James Harden, you got Kevin Durant, you have Joe Harris, Patty Mills. And then after that, I mean... Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, the the gap and the pause there is, is telling Nick. So, look, I don't know. I think that because we've I mean, seen... Cam Thomas is a good shooter. Javon Carter's had moments, but none of them are like they haven't proven to be good yet consistently. No, that then you're right. And look to to put it into context. I guess the the starters who have had 
you know, the, the second most used lineup has had 30 minutes this season. And the starters that we've seen for the past, I think, 10, 11 games or however many it's been, uh, or it might be only eight or nine. But in saying that, they've had 163 minutes to go the, the five. Uh, an offensive rating of 103.1, a defensive rating of 96.9 for a net rating of 6.3, which is the net rating good. The defense, really good. The offense is not reflective of having three either above average or incredible offensive players. And the fact that Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown downgrade that so much from being what is, you know, you would say in today's NBA, you know, 110 is above average, 115 plus is elite. The fact that that isn't even cracking 110 or even sniffing 105, it shows you how much that the the spacing and the issues of the offense um, with Blake Griffin and, and Bruce Brown out there at this point um, are impacting, you know, the, the the synergy on that end of the floor. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think especially because Bruce Brown's struggling offensively a little bit right now. A lot of people haven't necessarily mentioned that, I think, on Twitter. Like, he's missing layups. He like, airballed the layup tonight, which is just weird because he he was a solid finisher. I don't want to say he was an elite finisher. He was a good finisher last year, and his floater seems a little bit off. He's having a hard time finding his niche. I think some of that, too, is like the book is out on him. They're, they're understanding what he's trying to do in terms of his positioning on the floor. And I think with Blake not shooting well either, it's pretty much like you're playing five on three offensively sometimes or three on five just because like they're not respecting those guys and they're kind of just causing more clogging for James Harden and Kevin Durant, which makes it even more incredible that Kevin Durant is shooting this efficiently with some of the lineups that he's playing with. Like he's playing with some probably bad offensive lineups. And I think that's why the Nets either, you know, maybe you give these guys the OKC game to kind of find their rhythm. If not, I think you have to consider maybe changing the starting lineup just so you start the game better offensively. Like not to say that the game was terrible offensively to start this one, but there's just so many possessions where like when you face a good team, like I'm really interested to see what the Warriors would do if they face Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown. Like just because they're a smart defense, think they have the best defensive rating in the NBA this season. Obviously Draymond watches tape. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I have question marks about that lineup right now, especially offensively. Like you said, defensively, it's done some good things. But, like, the Nets are an offensive team at the end of the day. Yeah, their defense is really picked up. They're going to be a little bit more greedy this season. But you have James Harden and Kevin Durant. You should be an elite offense. Yeah, and I think that that's the – it's the trickle effect of – of Kyrie Irving absence. Yep. That, and know, having no the- real true backup point guard. I think that's still kind of an issue. And I think given when Kyrie was – you know, it was found that Kyrie wouldn't be able to play this season. There wasn't ample time to find that guy. That's what kind of sucks for Sean Marks is if maybe if this happened in the offseason, he might have signed, you know, a veteran point guard to just be a backup, not necessarily like any big name, but just somebody who can run the show, run a couple sets. Yeah, John Wall's doing bugger all in, in Houston right now. Who knows? We've discussed it a little bit. I'm not I, totally against it or opposed you know, to it. You know who well, I would really like if he got bought out would be Goran Dragic. Yeah, I mean, look to either of those guys, I think, would be, you know, added a little bit more to, to the offense, a little bit of juice there. Um, I don't think this roster is complete, uh, and obviously sure. because of the fact that they are contending. So come February, you know, we might be analyzing things in a different sort of fashion. But, Nick, can I now speak about Joe Harris, please, before yes. I get even angrier talking about Mr. Stephen Nash? Joe Harris, Nick, what a goddamn first-half performance from Joey Buckets. Some of those three balls were out of this goddamn world. Six of eight from there, uh, missed his, his last two, hit, all, hit his first six, 24 points, 9 of 12 from the field, including uh, a weird sort of sham guard sort of handle that he had going on there a little bit late. Uh, yeah. Two steals as well, uh, two boards. 
Joey Buckets. Uh, I have the photo in my favourites for a reason, Nick. You know, Joe Harris cooking the family barbecue, one of my favourite photos of, of Joey. Uh, this was a, a, an incredible performance from Joe Harris. Uh, absolutely awesome. And I think he was at like 55% from three uh, around that sort of range in his past six games. And numbers only going to keep going up. He's going to get back to his numbers. And uh, I'll keep shouting out to that bald D-head out in Memphis, wherever he used to go to with the PER and the athletic, whatever your name is, Jay Hollinger. Joey Buckets is, he's doing things. Again, regular season against the Pelicans, but he's back into some good form. Like him what he's doing defensively as well. Joey Buckets, baby. Yeah, I think defensively he's been really solid this season. And offensively, he started this game, what, 5 of 5 from 3. Just looked really confident locked in. And something I've noticed about Joe, and this is a trend, uh, it happened against Trey Young and the Hawks. It happened tonight against Devontae Graham. He has no issue shooting over smaller guys, especially guys that are shorter than him and weaker than him because it allows him to still rise up and get his positioning. I think you start to see some of the issues with the length. And that's something to just kind of keep an eye on. If the Nets can try to work him for some mismatches off ball to get those smaller guys or teams are forced to you know hide the smaller guy on joe that's just going to open some different opportunities and as he progresses hopefully he can start to shoot that over some of the bigger guys as well but you love to see the confidence i think the only issue i had in this game was there was one possession joe had a wide open lane and instead of just trying to shoot like a normal layup or a hard take to the rim he pulled up for that like really like fundamentally sound like jumper when you're like three feet away it's like man you're just going i don't even like even try to dunk the basketball i don't even care like try to just go there aggressive and get free throws you get blocked i don't really care like that shot is just so weird sometimes yeah uh, you could sort of tell that he was indecisive there in between, you could literally yep. see the the wheels moving in motion in his brain as he was making the decision and i was the only bad player for him tonight and i do remember the one that you're talking about there nick but you know, uh, we're seeing the development of Joe Harris as a shooter because I think that whether it's his teammates or his coaches or whoever are like, dude, like we just take the shots, like seriously, we don't care. And, you know, he'll have those four of 11 nights that he had earlier in the year, but he'll also have a six of eight night like he did tonight. And he was the offense early on. You know, he hit, I think his first six, or, or if not five, like you sort of mentioned, um, because I think he only missed his last two, but uh, I, I could be misremembering that. But he was he was great, and I'm really liking what he's doing defensively. You know, showing the level of physicality, fighting through screens, um, and I think that he's just being a, a really really important role player. And it'll be intriguing to see you know how he goes against you know your Bucks, your your Sixers, those sort of teams where he has notoriously struggled against. But if you get at least a bit of confidence against some of these lesser teams, you know, confidence is a big thing for the shooters and. Like he mentioned when he was talking, when he talked to Kyle Korver, you know, when he was at the practice, he's like, he's screening a heap, you know, even if he's just like just hitting a body. Um, I think Joe likes the physicality. He, he sort of thrives in it a little bit. It sort of gets the, the heart rate pumping, the, the juices flowing, whatever you want to call it. And I think that that sort of, you know, it, it's helping him. It's helping him be engaged uh, a little bit more. So uh, he was super important in this game. And it's what you want out of Joe Harris because, you know, when you got Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin out there too, and, you know, sometimes DeAndre Bembry, um, DeAndre Bembry, sorry, you know, Joe has to be, you know, a, a clinical spacer. Uh, and he has been clinical in the past seven games, especially. 
Yeah, and I think the pick-and-pop offense with James Harden and Joe Harris or with Kevin Durant is just kind of easy offense sometimes, especially just because guys are going to send more attention to them. I think, you know, Lucas and I were talking about this a lot after the Bulls recap. It's like developing that mid-range shot, I think, would be something that's really important. Just the elbow one, I think he hit two in that game against the Bulls. Not like something he has to go to all the time, but just to have in his bag when he gets put into some of these situations. And just a quote from Kevin Durant after the game, Joe Harris really got us going. Joe set the tone for us. And I think that's important because, like, they were a little lack lack lackadaisical to start this game defensively so offensively they needed to be locked in and hitting contested three is a good way to do that and I think this is easily Joe's best game of the season yeah it was awesome uh, a really really great game from him um, and like here and KD said you know really set the tone on that end of the floor and you know it, it's a it's a big thing it's what he does best and it's what we expect from Joe Harris he has high standards for himself we have high standards for him you know he's making us fall in love with him all over again and one final note on Joe, I just think sometimes the Nets need to make sure to keep him involved in the offense. I think at times like he gets kind of lost or just becomes an extra piece. And I get that that's going to happen with Katie and James Harden. But I think that's also why you stagger the minutes because Joe in a combination of James or KD is still a good combo to generate offense. And sometimes it's like they don't utilize him enough. And some of that's probably on Steve Nash. Yeah, it's weird. Early on, you know, James Harden was forcing some passes to Bruce Brown and then the passes that he was deciding to make to Joe Harris, that's better offense. You know, turning yeah. into Bruce Brown floaters, which haven't been to the elite level that we, we know that he can produce. Whereas Joe Harris, even if he's going to miss the three, it's going to be good offense. It's going to be because he misses the shot, not because the defense stops him. You know, and... You know, he gets switches and it just he creates more gravity for others. Um, and, and look, Bruce Brown has been fine in, in that role a lot of the time. But, you know, James Harden was a tad sloppy in the first sort of, you know, two or three minutes. But, yeah, he really turned it on and was sort of like, OK, I'm not letting this happen again. You know, saw Joe, Joe do his thing with the three ball and it was like, you know, I'll hit, I'll hit six myself as well. And I think another thing, too, that's hurting Bruce Brown is Blake Griffin. Uh, Blake Griffin not getting attention or respect at the three-point line. Now that defender is kind of coming inside and just gives Bruce something else to think about. Or the guy who's defending Bruce just feels more comfortable cheating. You know what I mean? Like you mentioned on some of those passes, like they jump the gun on that because they feel like they have help behind them. So that's just another aspect of like having two non-three-point shooters in the starting lineup, how that can hinder the offense at times. Definitely. Nick, who did you want to jump into next? Uh, we could talk a little to Marcus Aldridge. Not, you know, an explosive game for him by any standard. Seven points, two of six from the field, three of four from the free throw line, five rebounds, one assist, one steal, one block, one turnover. Not an amazing game for Aldridge. He kind of cooled down a little bit in this one. But overall, I think his size inside still is having some impact. It just at some point, so especially with that second unit, I think this happened late in the third or early in the fourth. It was like LaMarcus trying to out-rebound four Pelicans players. No, definitely. it's He's... He was he was bound to have a, a down game, but he was still fine enough. He got to the yep. free throw line a couple of times. I thought he rebounded the ball really well for for the most part, and it's been you know solid enough defensively. You know, yep. just having his presence there, um, I, 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 it wasn't you know the mid range ghost that we've seen from him um, to, in in other portions of the season. But you know, he was the next fourth best player. Um, you could probably make, I don't think you can make a credible argument for anyone else to, to be fair, just because none of them really impacted the game in, in a lot of other ways. So uh, Nick, but before we get to, I guess, uh, some of the other guys, I looked up, uh, you know, I love me, me lineup combos. I mean, off and on and all that sort of stuff. When both Blake and Bruce were off the floor, which has been 210 minutes this season, the Nets have a 10.4 net rating. That offensive rating is 112.4 and 102 defensive rating. So when the guys are off, 
when you, you know you sub in a Lamarcus Aldridge, you sub in a DeAndre Bembry. Both of those guys might be out playing, you know, our two starters right now. Again, I don't think Bruce should be taken out because I think his screening uh, and his uh, just ability to do the little things is more impactful. Uh, plus, his defense, I think, has taken a, a real step up this year. You know, we saw the stat yesterday. I think it was from like NBA Central or something. He's like in the top five or top ten. You know, when he's opposing guys, you know, the defensive field goal percentage is something in like the 30s or 35%. Yeah. So his defense Which is a little is bit of a fluky stat sometimes, but I think... It Bruce, is. Yeah, Bruce has been playing good defense. And like you said, I mean, I think it's probably a fair take to say Benbury is playing better than Bruce Brown, just because I think Benbury is providing a little bit more offensively. You know, not to say Benbury scored zero points tonight, so maybe that's a terrible take. But I think in the most point, most of the games we've seen this season, it's just like the struggle of maybe those two. And you mentioned that uh, lineup combination of the, the data you just threw at us. And the crazy thing is, is that includes lineups of that includes that second unit lineup. That is terrible. So that lineup yeah. averaged with the other ones that don't include Blake and Bruce are still performing well. I think also maybe it's just the possibility of separating Blake and Bruce. You know what I mean? Or just finding and utilizing them in a different way. Because like if they're not creating good offense with those three guys and Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Joe Harris, then I'm not sure they can create good offense with really anybody else. I mean, I guess if you had Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris's spot, probably because he's that good. But other than that, like I'm not really sure there's any combination on this on this roster that you could throw out there that would be better. No, I, I think you're right in saying that in terms of what they have right now. And I don't think Steve Nash, I think Steve Nash has shown over the past three or four games that he's sort of set and a, and a little bit rigid. And hopefully he becomes a little bit more flexible and decides to go, okay, let's try some different combinations at different moments throughout the game rather than just doing the same subs over and over again after doing four or five games of experimentations. You can do little moments of experimentations, my guy, Steve. Like, you don't have to throw everything into the wind and go, okay, we have to totally experiment or just not experiment at all. You know, there's, there can be a balance, my dude. You know, balance is key. And this is a game I would experiment. Like, the Pelicans are a bad team. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA. They're missing Zion. They're missing Ingram. Why not try some different stuff in this game, some different lineups? And I think also, like, maybe the Nets want to, like, quote-unquote, give Blake his respect for what he did last year. Sure, you want to let him start? Let him be, like, the fake starter. Play him four minutes and then sub him out and put well, somebody else in the game. Well, Kevon does golden statement, you know, and, and half the time they just play Draymond the entire game. Yeah. And, like, do that a little bit with Paul Millsap. I'm not calling Paul Millsap Draymond Green. Don't misquote me in saying that, but Paul Millsap is closer to Draymond Green than Blake Griffin is. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a very fair take. And I think I think Paul Millsap could provide more offensively. Like, we saw him in his one take tonight, obviously two points, five minutes and 54 seconds, 101 from the field, and that's the only stat he has in the night. But he had the nice behind the back, got to the rim, got the lay in. It just puts a little pressure where it's like, oh, you're late on the closeout, now I'm going to get to the rim and I might be able to finish. So I think they still need to unlock Paul Millsap. And like you said with Steve Nash, just trying to unlock some different things. Like, I'm definitely wanting to see more staggering because I just think they're putting too much pressure on the second unit and guys are struggling a little bit and a lot of them are complementary players rather than star players or lead players and you have the two really good lead players you need to find a way to balance that and still get the minutes on the floor together but also help the other guys on the team so you don't have these droughts yeah i think we because we saw a lot of it in the preseason as well nick you know it's just like he could be a connector he's a decent rebounder he's a decent yep. defender he can make passes you know the diamond at the patty mills is one of the passes of the season yep. that we saw so i just six minutes just isn't enough to make an impact on the game it's just like what did he do in those six minutes to just be like no you're not getting any more minutes tonight my guy it's look i'm i'm not saying that paul massive is going to transform this team but 
Is he? Is he? Does Blake Griffin deserve twenty more minutes than him? No, like I, don't, I just don't understand it. You know, I, I think Paul Millsap would be more effective as a five as well. And and I get that. You know, maybe it's the the relationship factor. Yeah. Maybe he's good mates with Katie and and James or, or or something. I don't know. But sometimes coaches just got to coach and just do your thing for for God's sakes, uh, Mister Nash. But. Yeah, I wouldn't well, it mind like a situation, Jack, where like if they re- like, all right, Blake's not playing tonight, play Millsap all those minutes, Blake gets to play the next game type of thing. Because I think first off, Blake doesn't have the juice to consistently play these these minutes and that type of level of physicality, especially now. So like maybe try to balance it a little bit and let let both guys kind of get the best of both worlds. And he also just like let Lamarcus get some games off. Obviously, it's still early in the season, but I think it's just something to keep an eye on. Definitely don't love the fact that James Harden and Kevin Durant had to play 38 minutes against the Pelicans. Yeah, look, I think that at this point in time, you've got OKC in the next game. Hopefully that the Nets are able to you know, maintain an ascendancy like they did in that third quarter against the Pelicans tonight. But especially in Clax's absence too, you know, you'd rather sort of you know see what you've got in Paul Millsap you know, during that time and, and maybe rest Blake, maybe rest LA, you know, if they're sore. Blake spent a lot of time on the floor diving and jumping around doing his, you know, taking care of business sort of stuff. So... We'll see how it pans out, Nick. But in terms of the other role players, Javon Carter had a bit of a, a burst. You know, there was a couple of sort of threes that looked nice. Paddy Mills, I don't think is... I think that his role is completely different to what he's ever played as a, as a basketballer. It's like Olympic Paddy, but at the NBA, where it's a, a much tougher you know competition. And the burden of him right now is basically, we need you to be Olympic Paddy Mills, bronze medal Paddy Mills, uh, alongside, you know, you know, Paul Mills, Sapple, Marcus Aldridge, Javon Carter, and John J. Bembry. It's just like, really? Like, Joe Ingles and Matisse Dival are better players to play alongside, you know, when you, you know, and even, you know, Jock Lundale, in a lot of respects. So I just think that, you know, one, he doesn't really have the chemistry with those guys. Two, some of the shot selection from him hasn't been great, but some of it's also being forced upon him. He has to take some of these bad shots because all of these other guys aren't going to take those shots at all. And it's just harder to generate shots. So I probably place the blame more so on just the product of the system that he's in and the rotation that he's in because a lot of the times where we see the best version of Paddy Mills is when he's playing, you know, alongside Joe and the superstars and and provide spacing there, but it it wasn't uh, one of Paddy Mills' best games. In fact, it was probably one of his worst games this year, but at the same time, you know, I think that this wasn't, I still think that he wasn't the worst player out there, but that's just only maybe because I'm biased in, in, in a lot of respects and uh, maybe I've got an irrational disdain for Blake Griffin right now, but I, I think that Steve Nash needs to be better in how he's using him because he's asking to do too much. And the, again, the old bench lineups are just, they aren't it. And you're, you're going up against the, the bench lineups of the Pelicans and the bench lineups of the Pelicans with Herb Jones, Kyra Lewis, Thomas Sadaransky, Troy Murphy and uh, Jackson Hayes, they're better. You know, they were way better than, than our bench lineup tonight. So, yeah, Paddy needs to be unlocked better. Javon Carter, you're getting a, a few moments here and there. But, yeah, it's not working at, at this point in time. Uh, but I, I don't think that it's going to last with Paddy in terms of some of his downplay. Yeah, I think some of it is the role, like you said. I think offensively he's in a slump right now. He's, like, pressing a little bit on his shots. And even just some of the shots are, like, pretty far off for a guy that's a good offensive player. So, And he's a complementary player. He's not a lead guard you know what i mean he's playing off of other guys and kind of someone's generating shots for him so like you said i think he'd be a guy that would benefit from staggering the minutes as well and he also just needs to have a game where he shoots well you know like when you start shooting bad like he's been having some rough shooting games over this last week 
get get that out of your system, have a good game, and you might be kind of back in rhythm. And I think also like they're not necessarily doing a great job generating open looks for him when he's not with the stars, which is kind of expected at different times. So, but Patty Mills didn't do enough negative things for like, oh man, I hate him tonight. It's just like the Nets need more offense out of him, especially with Kyrie Irving being out. They need, you know, that six to 10 range, probably more towards that like eight to 14 points. It's just kind of getting him in more favorable situations for himself. Yeah, the bench guys only had 15 points between them, oh. you know, at 15 <laughs> of the 120. Yeah, that the, the we don't need to say words. Nick's um, analysis with the the side grunts, whatever you want to call it, uh, sums it up well enough there. But Nick, anything else you you wanted to touch on in this one? Sort of move on to the next one, put it in put it in the basket. Not not something that we're going to be doing a, a rewatch of anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something you learn from, like, hey, this is a, a bad team, and we had this game essentially taken care of in the third quarter. We just turn up the gas a little bit and close this out. We get to rest our stars a little bit. Maybe we get to spend more time playing some of the young guys. I think something that's more crucial for this team, obviously you mentioned this earlier, they can still make moves and possibly add other players, but I think something to just keep an eye on is, like, the development of Cam Thomas because – Cam needs to get in the game. Best way for that to happen is blowouts, and he needs to get touches. And obviously, I think he's probably more raw for the NBA game than what we anticipated just based off of what we've seen the small sample size so far. But he'd be a guy that you could add to this possible bench unit, even if it's stealing you two minutes where you could put him out there and he can get you four points in three minutes or, you know what I mean, or something along those lines. Like, they need some of that scoring pop, and I think it's important that Steve Nash tries to develop him early on, even if that's five minutes in the second quarter every night. And then, you know, don't play him in the second half. They need to try to incorporate him, especially against bad teams. Like, you're playing the Pelicans. You're playing the Thunder. Like, actually, the Thunder have been playing really well. But you're playing the Pelicans. Like, you need to find ways to kind of get this guy going because that's an issue with your roster right now is like you're missing this amazing score in Kyrie Irving. We need to supplement it with possibly a guy that can at least score the basketball at an okay level. Yeah, and I think if he's got a, a Paddy Mills next to him, I, 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 maybe it's just me and in my irrational subjective love for both of those guys. That well, I think he, that Cam Thomas is scarier than Javon Carter. Like, I mean, just for me personally, like Javon Carter just like stops mid-range and just like hits three crossovers and passes the ball out. Yeah, there's there's certainly some worthwhile experimentation. Hopefully, Steve or someone from the Nets organization or someone passes it on to them and, and takes a few tips. Um, and by the way, if Steve is listening, um, Stephen, whatever, you, I, I won't call you that anymore, mate. Um, I, I got a bit in, got a bit in my feels. One thing I do want to touch, and I guess before we do end, Nick, is the rebounds. You know, that fourth quarter was just god awful. And I think at one point the Nets were up in the boards board battle and. You know, they finished, you know, uh, 34 to 43, you know, down in that, and they gave up 12 offensive boards too. They just couldn't get one to save their lives. And thank God after the ATO and there was a defensive play, you had four guys jumping for it. It was, it was rough. And that's one thing lazy. with Blake. It was, it was, it was rough. It was lazy. And that's another thing with Blake. You know, he, he got five boards tonight, two offensive boards. He's 6'9". Katie's taller than him. Katie's a better center than Blake Griffin is right now. And I think he might be... I think Lamar George is the best true center we have on the roster. But yep. look, and, and look, I'm not saying play Daron Sharp. You, know, he's, you don't he's play wrong. guys just for rebounding. Um, he's been great. Um, but maybe you play Kess Express. No, Kess Edwards, he's looked nice at Lamar. I've seen a few videos, seen a, a few little highlight plays here and there. But in saying that, that's... The, the board battle needs to be better because against better teams, if you're, you're lackluster there, you're going to get much more punished. And uh, they, they, it almost cost them the game in a lot of respects. 
Yeah, and the Pelicans aren't even a great offensive rebounding team. I mean, just like based off the bodies they have, maybe statistically they are. Jonas Valanciunas is a good guy in terms of getting to the boards, but like they were getting boards when they weren't even playing big lineups. Like if you're losing on the boards because you're playing the Bucks and they're throwing out Brooke Lopez and Giannis, who are just two giant bodies, yeah, that's more understandable. But like against some of the lineups that they struggled with tonight, it was just like, come on, guys, just put some effort in. You probably would have got the boards. Or like there's a couple where it's just like, not locked in off the fingertip, rolls to the other guy, get an easy layup. And like you said, that was a big reason the Pelicans were able to get this one close and made the Nets have to sweat in the fourth quarter. And look, Josh Hart's a great rebounder, but he shouldn't be equaling our leading rebounder in Kevin Durant with seven. Yeah. So that's just something to to notice there. And uh, Kevin Durant's been really good, as I think, as a rebounder this year. And James, I think, can lift a little bit there. He can sometimes get a little bit, a bit lackadaisical and sort of just waits for the ball to come to him in some respects. But... Yeah, the, it's a little thing, and it's something that's always played the Nets, especially the offensive boards um, and have and second chance points and all those sort of things. And they can come to bite them in the ass at, at certain points in time against some of those good teams, Nick. So hopefully they're watching a little bit of tape on the plane as they head to Oklahoma and, and noticing some of their follies from tonight's game, and they clean them up. You know, heading into some tougher matchups as they head to OKC, Golden State, and back home to the Clays. Yeah, did you want to talk about Nick Claxton before we get out of here? Yeah, but we heard the news around him saying that he's starting to ramp up. I think he had an Instagram post as well, said he's basketball ready or ready to play basketball again. So the illness, whatever it might be, we've heard rumors, but I don't want to really put rumors on the pod. You don't really want to talk about someone's health. Like, I just feel like it's it's not super ethical, especially if it's something like that he can't control or genetic or it's like something he has to deal with. Like, that's just kind of messed up. And until, like, the Nets announce it or someone actually gives us, like, concrete information, that's just not a good thing to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm a takesman when it comes to a lot of things, but I'm not a takesman when it comes to, to health issues. So, But it was it was positive to hear. We did see him you know, at, at some of these games cheering the guys on. You know, Apparently a slow ramp up. I think it was like a, a, a mini game or like a half-speed game or a half-speed practice of sorts, I think is what Steve Nash said. He said that a week or a couple of weeks should be likely be the timeline. I, I, think, I don't think that there's a concrete timeline, to be honest. I think it's just like... We know the Nets and, and what the, the phrase ramp up means. I think that two weeks is probably more likely than one week. Yeah, and I mentioned on Twitter I'd like to probably see him maybe play a G League game or something just to kind of get his rhythm back out there, bang with some bodies. I think the Nets are also mi- missing clacks a little bit. Like he can provide some different things to this roster, be it rim running, switching defense like we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. And, I mean, you've kind of uh, – a kind of push this maybe a little bit is like possibly getting him into the starting lineup when he does come back. Even like I was thinking about it while we were just talking before is like a Millsap and Nick Claxton combination. The starting lineup sounds better than Bruce Brown and Blake Griffin offensively. And you do lose your point of attack defender. So maybe you don't take Bruce out there or you try to find somebody else to get in there. But Clax can definitely give you something. And I think he gives you probably more offensively at this point than maybe Blake Griffin, at least because he provides you a true rim runner. Obviously the spacing is still going to be trash either way. And I think that that is also what James Harden would probably like too. Yeah. And their chemistry wasn't great early on in the season, but I think we know that Clax had some issues with his conditioning and health, not just conditioning, sorry, um, that, that did affect that. So 
we know that at his best, him and James Harden have a, a, a nice little combination. You know, he's uh, got great verticality. We know what his defensive prowess is like. So the best version of Nicholas Claxton, or even an 80% version of Nicholas Claxton, is, is one of the best bigs on this roster, given his unique skill set. So hopefully he gets himself right. We'll be keeping an eye on, you know, everything that the coaching staff is saying. You know, he's probably going to be eager to get out there sooner yeah. rather than later. There's no doubt about that. But maybe, you know, what we saw from him is... You know, we just saw 15-minute games, which is like, damn, Clax is getting like these awesome games and such, and uh, that's probably likely to happen soon. And then, you know, he, you get the confidence in him to get to those 20, 25 minutes, and hopefully he just remains impactful because he can impact games in, in a lot of ways, Clax. He's not a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination, um, but Clax City... impact uh, player. Impact player, in Clax player, whatever, Clax City. Um, I'm, I'm excited to, to see the city thriving sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think he didn't look right to start the year, and it made a lot more sense when we got the news kind of on the illness and him sitting out this time. Like, you know, maybe his body and his conditioning was never really on point, and they kind of figured that out and got him back to being that energetic guy that we saw last year. You know what I mean? And I think the Nets could use some of that juice, especially and get some of these games where, like, a couple clack stunks, get the guys going, get some momentum going for everybody. So I'm interested to see how that kind of all works out, and hopefully we get to see him by the end of November, that'd be really nice. I wouldn't definitely lock it in. Like you mentioned, the Nets are kind of slow with these things. They're not going to necessarily push anybody forward. But anything else you want to jump into, Jack, before we get out of here? No, nah, mate. It was uh, obviously we somehow still figure out a way to go to 55 minutes on a game that we said wasn't memorable. But <laughs> it, we obviously get into some uh, a bit of deeper discussion. So look forward to I'll hopefully be on the next one. Um, and, but you know, I've, I'm very ably, ably replaced by Justin and Lucas. Of like, those guys are killing on the buzz. And well, the merch is still popping, guys. So make sure you head to T Public. Check out the link in the description, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Pods, or whatever. Uh, some apps. Pick whatever color you want. I've got myself a, a nice little blue number next. So I'm waiting for the the nice little blue T-shirt. Got a black long T-shirt. Gonna wait for the hoodies because it's very. It's starting to get a bit warmer down here in Melbourne. Uh, but if I do hit up the Northern Hemisphere, you know, over the holidays, I might have to to cop a hoodie, hoodie sooner rather than later. Stickers if you guys don't have the money or mugs, whatever. Um, anyone that has already purchased them, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If anyone that has purchased them already, feel free to send us the photos, guys. We'll retweet it. We'll throw it out there on the timeline. We'll pin it. Um, thanks for everyone for the support. And we're over the 100 mark with the five stars now. So the next goal is 200. We're at 102, 98 to go. If you're one of those uh, 102, thank you. If you aren't, you aren't dead to me. Only thank you if you're one of the 102 that gave us a four or five star. If you're the one who yeah. gave us a one star, we don't, we don't appreciate you. <laughs> no, no, no. But you, look, the, the haters make us thrive, Nick. You know, it's what James Harden's doing right now. What, what, the, the, the hate fuels us, you know, in, in a lot of ways. But, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for the support off the pod in terms of the five stars and, and, and all the merch stuff. That's still popping. Check out the link in the description, all all the stuff there. And, uh, we are buzzing, and we might have a few other things dropping. If you've got some ideas as well, we've got some connects here and there with some designers that will be able to produce some stuff. And, you know, we've got some things in the, in the wings waiting. Uh, we'll be popping out with some things as the Nets continue to build on the horizon. 100%. Like you said, Jack, big appreciation to everybody for supporting the pod and then also all the merch that we've sold. And currently there's a sale at Public. You can grab a t-shirt for 13 bucks. So not too bad. And we would have really appreciated it. And like Jack said, you're wearing the stuff, post it out there. We'll retweet it, help you build up your clout. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks to everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. 
That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.